Now, if she had things that she could use to pay off the debt, I'm sure Elisha would have said, well, go and sell it and pay off your debt. She doesn't have anything. That one jar of oil is going to go nowhere in paying off the debt. She's only got one jar of oil, but Elisha knows that one jar of oil in God's hand is enough for God. God will use the little that she has and he's going to multiply it. Just like he did on that, that day in the hands of Christ as he was faced with those thousands and thousands of people who were all hungry. What do we have, he asked the disciples. Well, all we've got is this. A couple of loaves, a few fish. That's enough. Same principle here with Elisha. One jar of oil is more than enough for God to use. Because God is almighty. And God is kind. And God is good. And she's to gather empty vessels empty vessels note the specific instruction empty ones why because God is about to do this work and there is to be no doubt whatsoever that this is God's doing every pot pan bowl you name it whatever it's called the sun's around all the neighbors what have you got take it back into the house and they're all gathered in we don't know how many but they're all gathered in and the door is shut. And what happens, happens inside their home, behind a closed door. This is not to be a public spectacle, as some of the miracles in the Bible were. This is God, through Elisha, dealing one-on-one -on -one with the needs of this woman. Isn't that wonderful? God does that, you know. And he's able to deal one-on-one -on -one with you in your great need also. Because God is kind. And God is good. Have you got the one main message I want you to take away this evening yet? And so as many vessels as can be found are found and taken inside. And from that single jug of oil, they start pouring into vessel number one. Now, we don't know if vessel number one is bigger than the jar of oil. Perhaps it was. And it gets filled. And there's still some more oil. So vessel number two, full. Three, full. I don't know how many there were. Every single vessel brought empty is filled. And God provided sufficient oil to fill every single vessel that they've been able to lay their hands upon. You can be absolutely certain that if they'd had double the number of vessels than they actually had, all of those vessels would have been filled as well. But as many vessels as they had been able to gather, every single one of them was filled. And as soon as the very last vessel was full, the oil stopped flowing from the original jar. Because God could do no more. He'd done enough. He'd done everything that was needed. And she looked around at how much oil she had. And Elisha looked around at how much oil she had. Enough to pay off your debts? Yes. Enough to pay off the debts. 
Some left over? Yes, some left over. Enough for you to live on? Yes, enough for me to live on. Do note, she was now expected to be a good steward from the abundance that God had given her. The, uh, the magic oil jug, as some might want to call it, is no more. She now must be a good steward out of the abundance of what God has given her. Just like you and just like me. God has redeemed her from her debts. Is that a theme you're familiar with? God has provided sufficient for her to continue to provide for herself and her family. Such is his love and care for this woman. Now in terms of our physical needs and our physical well-being, God has created us with the ability and with the resources to be able to provide for ourselves most of the time. But we're encouraged here to know that if ever we lose either of those things, if we lose the ability to provide for ourselves, if we for some reason find ourselves with no resources to be able to provide for ourselves, well the scriptures assure us that God will care for his own and that God will provide. But at the same time, when we have the resources to be able to provide for ourselves, God expects us to do that. Because he's given us every good thing and every good gift in order that we can. But it's interesting though, isn't it? Because when the Bible speaks of our spiritual condition, when the Bible speaks of our spiritual need, it paints a very different picture. Because the Bible tells us that when it, become, when it comes to our spiritual need, we are completely helpless to take care of ourselves. The Bible tells us we have no resources that we can turn to spiritually in order to sort out the problem that we're in. And that we must rely entirely upon him for everything. Of course, that's why Jesus returned from this world to his heavenly father and that together father and son would send the person of his Holy Spirit. Because the thing that we need most of all is that inward spiritual renewal of heart and mind and soul. And God does that for us too. And he just keeps on giving and keeps on giving. But in this little first scene with this widow with her two sons threatened to be taken into slavery and how God steps in through Elisha and sorts things out for her, we have this wonderful picture of God's care and provision for his people. And a reminder that he is the almighty God who is able to do for us exceedingly abundantly out of his mere grace. Uh, that lady knew where to cry out and God answered her cry because he's kind and he's good. And then from verse 8 and very suddenly and with no real explanation we're taken uh, to this next thing that happened. We don't, we don't know how close these two events may or may not have been but one day it happened Elisha went to Shunem. Uh, we're not told why he went to Shunem but there he goes and there 
there is this lady who, again, is unnamed, and she's described in verse 8 as a notable woman. And presumably, uh, she was a woman of some wealth and of some resource. She was able to feed Elisha every time he visited her town, and she and her husband were able to build this little room for him, a little, little shelter up on the wall. He's got a bed and table and a chair and a lampstand, and he's very cosy, and he's well looked after, and, and every time Elisha is passing, he doesn't even have to disturb them, even if it's in the middle of the night. He knows he has this little place that he can use, and there he can find shelter and rest. Uh, and this woman's done a wonderful thing for him. And we notice the great contrast that there is between these two women. The other was a destitute widow. Uh, this woman is childless, but she's not a widow, and she's certainly not penniless. She doesn't call on Elisha, she just offers him practical help. She is a woman of means and resources, and she has no physical need in the same way as the other woman does. So here is another woman in very, very different circumstances to the first. And in the midst of a nation which has largely turned against God, Elisha finds a godly home where there is hospitality and shelter and rest and good food. What a wonderful woman she is. And she sees in Elisha a man who is worthy of help. He is a holy man of God, she says to her husband, as she's suggesting to him this plan that she has to build this little upper room for Elisha. He's a holy man of God who passes by regularly in verse 9. She's a woman who has some spiritual discernment. She takes the initiative in providing Elisha with this, with this much-needed and very welcome help, which is his exclusively whenever he's in town. Uh, and just as a little aside, in verse 9, uh, you find a really good example of how things should work in a godly marriage. She goes and talks her idea through with her husband. Now, she doesn't walk in and tell her husband what is going to happen, and he can like it or lump it. And she doesn't go into her husband groveling on her knees like a slave. She tells her husband about the need that she's seen, and how she believes that they, as a couple, can help. This is what we could do, and it's all us, us, us. Couldn't we, dear? Well, yes, that sounds like a very good idea. That's a, it's a wonderful, simple example of how a godly Christian couple can be together in the home. There's harmony and there is accord in this home. That's a great thing, isn't it? Plenty of homes around today when there's none of that to be found. It's only a little thing. It's not little at all, is it? And Elisha is so grateful and he's apparently been taking this hospitality uh, for some time and uh, he, he thinks to himself, you know, there, there really must be some way I can thank this woman and her husband for this great kindness they've been showing me all this time. Uh, and so he asks, uh, well, what, what can I do to help you? There must be something I can do. How can I thank you? 
And, and how would you respond if you had someone... Remember what's happened in the story last week with Elisha dealing with those three kings versus the king of Moab? And having taken Elisha's counsel from them, they've had that great success over the king of Moab. Uh, Elisha is in the king's good books. He has the king's ear. Um, maybe, maybe I can go and have a word with the king for you. Oh, really? <laughs> That'd be good. Uh, or, or I could speak to the guy who's in charge of the army. Uh, he's, he's got thousands of men at his disposal. Is, is there something they could do for you? Maybe? Well... How would you respond to someone who you knew had that kind of clout and influence? Who just, tell me, what can I do? The king? The army? Ooh. And how does she respond? Um, I, I'm just happy staying where I am, thank you. Um, I dwell among my own people. This, this is home. I've got everything I need, thank you. Uh, very kind of you to ask. Do you know what it is to be content with what you have and where God has put you? Do you? Contentment. It's a wonderful thing. Lots of people out there don't have it. If you'd had this kind of question put to you, would you immediately be able to go into your back pocket and you pull out a great big wish list that you I've been wanting to do this for years. And out it all pours. Not this woman. Not this woman. Perfectly content, thank you. With where I am. With what God's given me. With where God's placed me. Quite content. What a wonderful position to be in. What a wonderful state of heart to be in. She's a godly woman, you see. She knows and loves the Lord. He does that in people. But Elisha, through his servant Gehazi, who's a bit of a funny character, Gehazi, says and does some questionable things at times. But Gehazi points out, this couple haven't got any kids. And so Elisha makes this promise to her this time next year you'll have a son and she's not quite sure how to take that at first verse 16 uh, no <laughs> that's not going to happen there's a few ladies been in this position in the bible isn't there i don't think so elisha uh, don't lie to me this is not an issue that you joke with a woman over a woman who perhaps has been childless all her life, has longed for a child. You don't joke with a woman on this issue. Don't, don't you lie to me. This, this is not a joke, Elisha. But it's not a joke. And he's not deceiving her. And a year later she has the son that God has promised her. Immediately followed by this unbelievable and remarkable twist in the story, as 
the boy who presumably is still quite young, but he's grown up to some degree. How old? I don't know. Probably preteen, I guess. And what happens? Does he have some kind of stroke, some kind of hemorrhage in his head? We don't know. Verse 19, my head, my head. And the boy dies. The boy dies. God has given her this son. And if he had not given her this son, she could never have known this situation that she's now being put in. The birth of this boy was not a chance event, but we also know that the death of this boy is not a chance event either. But we notice something about this woman. She doesn't go to pieces. She's quite a remarkable woman. Neither does she arrange to bury her son. If you know anything about the hot Middle East, you'll know that, well, burials take place usually the same day, sometimes within hours. But this boy, no funeral arrangements are, are made. Up he goes to that room where Elisha is, and down he is laid on Elisha's bed. Maybe she knew of that story with Elijah in 1 Kings 17. Have a read of it if you don't know it when you get home. This has happened before with one of God's prophets. And she knows this. She must send for Elisha. She's now in the position that the widow was in. She's desperate. She knows there's only one possibility. Send for the man of God. Because to send for the man of God is to plead with God. She sends for Elisha. And Gehazi acts as Elisha's servant. And he acts as a go-between for Elisha and the woman to begin with. But she won't have anything to do with Gehazi. Um, how, how are things at home? Everything's fine, thank you. How's the boy? Everything's fine, thank you. She won't speak of the truth to him. She takes it to Elisha. There's only one place where this can go. And she takes it to Elisha. And as soon as she arrives at Elisha and falls at his feet, Elisha suddenly realises that here is a woman who is in great distress and broken hearted. And God, perhaps, given the person that Elisha is, the special position that Elisha is in, God perhaps might have warned Elisha in advance, but he hasn't. And Elisha realises what is going on. And the woman is broken, but her faith isn't. Her faith isn't. And she pleads. It's interesting, isn't it, what, uh, what she says. Did I not say, do not deceive me? And of course, she's going back to verse 16. Don't, don't lie to me about this, Elisha. Don't tell lies to me about this having a son. And now she's reminding him, these years later... You said I was going to have a son. Okay, I did, but I haven't now. We can't blame her for saying that to him. But it's possible, you see, for the Lord's people to be utterly heartbroken, but to have your faith still intact. And that's what's true for this woman. Her faith is still intact. And Elijah shows himself to be a man of intense private prayer and communion with God. Back they go to the woman's home. Up Elisha goes to the upper room. And again, this is not a public spectacle. Again, it's done behind a closed door. 
This is just God dealing with this woman and her dead boy. And Elisha just prays. He lies down over the, over the boy's body. We see him pacing backwards and forwards as he communes with God and waits upon God. And eventually life returns to this boy. And what this passage gives us, well, it gives us a number of very, very simple, but so, such important lessons that we can learn. First of all, we have the example of unwavering faith in these two women. Unwavering faith. And this second woman, her faith held firm even after her son was dead. We have the example of persistent prayer. In Elisha. The Puritans used to have a, a saying when it comes to prayer. They used to call it praying through. Praying through. What they meant by that was wrestling with God until you have that assurance that God has heard and answered your prayer. It might not necessarily be the answer that you'd wished for, but you know that God has heard and answered your prayer. And, and here is Elisha and he's praying through and he's communing with God that God would deal with this. We see that God cared about a destitute widow and he cares equally about a wealthy woman who's just lost her son. Because God is kind and God is good and he hasn't forgotten Israel. He's still the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in Israel. Now the fact that God is kind and the fact that God is good doesn't mean that he's obliged to give us whatever we want. It doesn't mean that we are able to demand from him everything we want every time we want it. It assures us that even if God doesn't answer as we would have hoped for, then in his wisdom he must have a very good reason for not doing so. Because we know that God is kind. We know that God is good. And even if he doesn't answer our prayers the way we might have hoped he would, there's a reason for it. And that he will yet display his power, and he will yet show his goodness, and he will yet show his kindness. After all, you see, these women weren't actually spared hardship or grief, were they? These women suffered. These women went through it. Their hardship, hardship and grief were the means by which God was able to show his mighty arm. Their suffering and grief was the means by which God was able to show and prove that he is kind and that he is good. And actually, if they had not been in those circumstances, well, for them, God would not have been able to demonstrate his nature in such a dramatic way. And he did it in different ways with both of them. And he'll do it in different ways in your situations. And he'll do it in different ways in my situations. But he'll do it likewise for all of us. Because this is the very nature of God that is re being revealed to us in the scriptures here. And I want to suggest also as we close that in both of these stories we see images that remind us of our great need which can only be met in Christ. The needy desperate widow in debt who by God's grace had the penalty for her debt cancelled out and then 
the gracious abundance of God which provided for her life and her living. That's the gospel of Christ. The woman who made a place for God's servant in her home received through him rich blessing and turned to him for relief in the midst of her grief and her loss. And in response to their cries of faith, a God who is moved in compassion and grace and who on their behalf displays his power and his love for them. A a God who's interested in the needs of even of these nameless Israelite women, as it would have been viewed back then. That's not me belittling women, but that's how they would have been viewed back then. They are just nameless Israelite women. But God still loves them and still cares for them. That was a big deal back in their day, in such a male-dominated society. They are not just women in God's eyes. They're his people. He knows them. He knows their distress. He hears their calls as they cry out to his prophet. And they are the objects of his love who he is quick to help. And how desperate and needy we have been. How desperate and needy you are. How great was our debt which God has cancelled out for us through Christ. How all-sufficient has God's provision been for us in the Lord Jesus Christ by his grace. How we must be ready to see that the things which God has given, even the dearest things, are his to take away if he so chooses. But even if he does, that's no reason for you or I to walk out on him but rather to run to him even more earnestly in our time of need that we might know his continuing provision and care. I wonder if you were with us this morning in Philippians chapter 4. Can you see some of the parallel themes that are here? What did we read in Philippians 4? Do not be anxious for anything. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And in thanksgiving and supplication, make your requests known to God. That's what these women did. You see, what Paul said in Philippians 4 wasn't something new. God's been doing this for centuries. And these two women knew that peace which surpasses all understanding, which Paul spoke of in Philippians 4. Unlike the Philippian believers, unlike these two Old Testament women in Israel, if you will heed the apostles' exhortation, and if you will follow the example of these two Old Testament believers, the same peace that came to them will come to you. <laughs> 